0: Good evening, everyone, um, or good afternoon, good morning, uh, depending where you're tuning in from. Uh, Welcome to the Modern Chinese Humanities Seminar. Uh, My name is Li Jie, and I teach um, Chinese Film and Media Studies at Harvard. Um, I'm co-organizing this lecture series together with my colleague uh, David Wong uh, to feature a new scholarship in modern Chinese literary media and cultural studies. Uh, we're very grateful for the sponsorship and logistical support of the Fairbank Center for Chinese Studies, uh, with special thanks to Mark Grady for setting everything up. Um, And before introducing our speaker today, I just wanted to mention two further upcoming talks on Zoom uh, this fall semester. Um, In three weeks, exactly at the same time, on Thursday, October 28th, uh, 8 p.m., Professor Shaoling Ma uh, from Yale and U.S. will be speaking about her new book, The Stone and the Wireless, Mediating China, 1861 to uh, 1906. And then on Friday, November 12th at noon, uh, Professor Michelle Hawkes from the University of Notre Dame will be giving a talk on the shifting limits of reform, literature and censorship in China since 1979. Um, Today, we're really delighted to uh, to welcome Professor Pang Lai Kwan, um, whose work has really been a source of inspiration for uh, myself and many of our students. Um, Professor Pang is a professor of cultural studies and head of the Department of Cultural and Religious Studies at the Chinese University of Hong Kong um she is this year a fellow in residence at the center for advanced studies in the behavior sciences at uh, stanford university so she's on research sabbatical this year but has very kindly agreed to Come and speak to us. And Iqbalan is, a, is an, an amazingly prolific scholar, um, whose six single-authored monographs actually span a remarkable range um, of sp- issues and time periods, um, from the Chinese left-wing cinema movement of the 1930s uh, to copyright and piracy in China's creative industries. And um, my graduate students and we we just read your uh, "Distorting Mirror: uh, Visual Modernity in China at the Turn of the 20th." century and um and also this book is also quite essential reading the art of cloning creative production during the cultural Evolution. i've taken this book with me um across continents several times so um i her most recent book is the appearing on demos uh hong kong during the umbrella movement which is published uh, last year in 2020 uh, and in fact uh professor pong was originally scheduled to come to harvard in march 2020 and we had to for for a workshop um, on Asian media studies that we unfortunately had to cancel Because of the pandemic, we'd be hoping to bring her back to campus, but um, unfortunately, this is not yet possible. Um, The paper that she was originally going to present last year was called uh, Mask as Identity. So it's a very timely topic. uh, The political subject in the 2019 Hong Kong uh, social unrest. So if you're interested in that, please also check that out. It's been published in the journal uh, Cultural Studies earlier this year. And now she has already Moved on to a new book project um, about the intellectual and cultural history of state sovereignty in modern China. And her talk today is called Economic Sovereignty in Contemporary China The Biopolitical Subject as Garlic Tribe. Um, please join me in virtually welcoming Professor Pan Lai Kuan. Thank you very much. Over to you.
1: Um thank you for, thank you very much for um to Jia and um
0: David for bringing
1: me here. Um I'm very honored to be a part of this. Um so today I'm going to talk about a, a paper is already just published but actually a part also a part of my um ongoing project as uh, Jia just mentioned that this is Because I'm interested in um, tracing the development of the concept of sovereignty, particularly in terms of the state people relationship, um, from late Qing to the current time, um, spanning the imperial period, the republican, socialist, and the post-socialist period, how a concept or a structure um, get altered and also continuously aggrandized um, during this. um, very turbulent 20th 20th century. But uh, this paper situates at the end of this historical spectrum, while I actually uh, now working more on the historical um, dimension of it. Um, In here, I particularly choose the concept of economic sovereignty to sort of try to understand the relationship between the state and the people during this period so um, here we go i'm going to start um, in the three lectures he delivered in paris in the mid 70s uh, foucault offers a thorough analysis of the development of modern governmentality of western liberal countries which he terms politics foucault first demonstrates that the biological states not only manage life but manage to make it proliferate Giving the subjects an impression that the state serves their natural designs to prosper. That's the first book, the first lecture, society must be defended. Um, in his subsequent set of lectures, um, t- now titled Security, Territory, and Population in the in the as a book title, um, he provides an overview of the new technology of power over population developed in Europe connecting this new governmentality to the rise of the modern nation states. Um, In the final lecture of this famous trilogy, Foucault deals with the biopolitics from an economic perspective, tracing how an economic rationality emphasizing freedom and competition developed into an economic, juridical ensemble in the 20th century. Although Foucault himself does not offer an overall analysis connecting the three sets of lectures, he provides a macro-scanning of contemporary governmentality, in which the biological, the economic, and the political are deeply intertwined. Um, In this lecture, I want to investigate precisely the relationship between the biological, the economic, and the political in contemporary Chinese governmentality. Foucault's analysis of neoliberalism is based largely on an easy marriage between the biological and the economic, in which they are both caught in a blind drive for development. Um, In this lecture, I want to explore by following this uh, thinking, but I also want to challenge it a little bit by exploring if there is a political consciousness of the biological subject. I also want to bring back the specificity of, of the different states into the discussions of governmentality. Because we do know that in general Marxist analysis, the state is often understood as the political organization of the bourgeoisie to serve their economic interest. Um, There's also a similar assumption in Foucault's analysis that the dominant political system dovetails with the dominant economic structure. So instead of assuming the economic as the base upon which all is built, I would like to point out an opposite tendency in uh, post-socialist China. Um, That is to say, capitalism is only a means for the empowerment of the state. We must remind ourselves that governmentality is ultimately state-specific, so that neoliberalism could not be a consistent practice globally. A more complex framework must be developed for the contemporary PRC, and that would help us gain better insights about the increasing intertwining relations among the political, the economic, and the biological developed in the world. Today, I would like to focus on a meme that has spread rapidly among Chinese internet users in the last few years, that is garlic chives, or in Chinese, it's tai. This metaphor is used in contemporary China to refer to those ordinary Chinese people who are constantly lured to participate in all kinds of economic activities, but their investments are destined to be consumed by the establishment. Corresponding with this, Gallic tribes is the sickle, the of, which is used to describe the economic and political forces feeding upon the fortunes lost by the individual investors. Um, but before I go on to the to the cultural representations of the time, I would like to first engage with the political economy here. Um, Economic sovereignty is not a widely circulating concept. Uh, When it is used, it usually refers to the state's right to regulate economic activities within the state borders. However, since um, it concerns with the exchange and circulation, economics tend to bypass national boundaries, and such transnational movements are further reinforced in the age of globalisation. But the PRC also gradually developed a specific affinity with the term economic sovereignty. um, Emphasizing the need to control the foreign trade and prevent global finance from influencing or controlling China. The PRC has has been very uh, vocal, in fact, about its success in protecting its economic autonomy. It proclaims that the country was able to sail through the 2008 global financial crisis because of its strong economic sovereignty. And the term became popular again in the 2019 Sino-U.S. trade war, in which the PRC accused the United States of invading China's economic sovereignty by demanding a structural change to its economic structure. critics have, praised the Chinese government's pragmatic approach to economic activities, providing both private enterprises and state enterprises with room to prosper. But other critics also observed that China's recent economic growth has been based largely on the local competitions among towns, cities, and actually individuals. Domestic cutthroat competition is extremely common in China. Such reckless internal competition is becoming more intense as China enters its so-called great domestic circulation period, reflected in the sudden popularity of the term Nijuanhua in China's internet world since the second half of 2020, just a year ago. Um, So what does this term mean? We have to go back to 1963. uh, uh, Clifford Gersh in his book, Agricultural Info, Involution studies the centuries of rice or wet rice cultivation uh, practices in Indonesia and finds that the repeated and labor-intensive practices did not bring significant technological or political change, but rather to put the people under more intense labor competition without improving their skills or methods. American scholar Philip Wong First, use Earth's idea of involution to describe Chinese rural development in the Yangtze Delta in the Ming Qing period, which was also characterized by ever increasing labor input with diminishing marginal returns. In the Chinese translation of the book, the neologism neolo- Nijie Huang is used to translate girls' idea of involution. Um, While the term has been used in China for three decades, um, it certainly became a buzzword on the Chinese internet in 2020 when globalization slowed down substantially due to the coronavirus pandemic and the Sino-US decoupling. The term is now widely used to describe the ferocious rivalry and competition Chinese citizens needed to face, to the extent that where even toddlers in kindergarten are already exposed to a rhetoric of comparison and competition. I'm giving you an example here. This is an advertisement for a Chinese prime school. It goes, uh, "We nurture your kid if you come. We will nurture the competitors of your kid if you don't come." So you this vividly demonstrate the kind of um, um, internal competitions that China and ordinary Chinese citizens are facing today. So now come back to the garlic chives in your time. Uh, uh, garlic chives is an extremely adaptive plant and is capable of enduring both cold and hot weather. Um, it is widely cultivated in different parts of China. It is basically perennial so that once the seeds are planted, they will regrow every year. It is also very easy to manage, to the extent that farmers just need to cut the plants with a circle or sharp mussel shell in some places when they are tall enough, and the remaining parts will grow up again. Um, Sorry, ecologically, um, it is described as a kind of noxious weed, Highly aggressive and spreading rapidly, often invading other existing plants and creating a monoculture. When garlic tribes have been associated, while well, garlic chives have been associated with grassroots load and productivity in Chinese culture, Jiu um, first became a trendy term on Chinese internet around 2020. Uh, describing those investors or traders who lost money in the rapidly expanding stock market. And they were called, they were called your time. Um, in 2011, a woman who calls herself uh, a haixin ocean, ocean star Sand lamented on the internet how she had lost money rapidly on the stock market. And she pleaded for help from fellow netizens for investment strategies her appeal received a wide response with both reproaches and sincere assistance, giving her a sharp fame as jiu um, chai guo jiu chai girl. The term then became a buzzword and went viral, widely used to refer to all those individuals who keep losing money in the investment but never learn their lessons and who maintain a blind faith in their luck or whatever inside tips they receive to to beat the market. And there's also a best-selling book titled The Self-Cultivation of Garlic Chives, uh, which was published to provide psychological and strategic tips for succeeding on the stock market. This title shows how the garlic chives is a metaphor of subject formation in contemporary China, used by the Chinese people themselves to mock their voluntary participation in the jungle of greed and brutality. Here I'm going to show you uh, some clips uh, explaining um, what the Jok Chai has become an internet uh, a meme. <laughs> To use this example to show you that the Zhi chai has quickly entered popular culture with people, with people making up songs and DIY MVs to be uploaded to Douyin. Um, uh, those of you who are familiar with Douyin know that they are the Chinese version of the uh, the original Chinese version of TikTok and other Chinese um, online platforms. Um There was considerable in- interest in this Jiucai Ge, which was adapted from a 2002, uh, to, uh, 2002 pop song titled Endless um, Charm. Um, because there is a line repeating the word here, Jiucai, netizens turned it into a cover song by change by changing Jiucai to Jiu-tai. Um Those who are here are Jiu-tai. Um let me show you another clip, um, which is actually in, uh, it is a recent upload in uh, Bilibili, the B-ten uh, in China. It shows an um, ordinary video teaching people how to grow um, received millions of views. Um, you can see that there are actually more than one million view- viewers, um, because they uh, they 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 are very entertained by this original. Um, Video, which was simply trying to teach people how to grow the jute uh, Then we know that Bilibili Bili is a it's upload, it's it's a video sharing platform where people can members can actually uh, put in their comments um, directly on the video. So we can take a quick look at how this looks like.
2: 爱的朋友几乎没有不种韭菜的
1: Okay, I'm I'm going to just stop here. But you 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 see the point. This uh, woman who just simply wants to teach how people grow um, through but then the netizens would pick to the pick this up and then put on their comments, and and, and the comments actually reveal how the Jiu has it's actually been a, a very popular uh, metaphor for the time. Sufferings people have been um, going through, and in particular, the, the kind of class struggles that is implied in the, in, the, in the comments, we can actually see a lot of such um, um, connotations and being reviewed, um, such as, for example, the, the, the capitalist fo- talking about the, this as a reflection of the capitalist um, um, ways of treating the ordinary um, people. So I'm going to uh, stop right now. Um, So I'm now move back to the political economy a little bit. Um, In 2002, the street represents theory um, credited to Jiang Zemin was ratified by the CCP to allow capitalists to join the party This theory also marks the official incorporation of the uh, privately owned enterprises, uh, POEs, uh, to become a legitimate part of the socialist economy. In 2017, the Xi Jinping government began to strengthen SOEs, uh, the state owned enterprises, by issuing a series of supporting policies and promoting mergers and acquisitions. The state's increasing demand for compliance has become even more obvious since the event of the COVID-19 and the escalation of the Sino-US tensions, with Xi making it clear that patrioticism is the foremost criterion for Chinese enterprises in such times critics began to describe the state's harvesting of the POEs in the manner of garlic chives being cut down by the sickles with the private capitalists having to sacrifice themselves in the face of state demands. Uh, so major entrepreneurs as powerful as Jack Ma and Ren Jianfei are all now subject to the state's taxing control. So what I'm trying to discuss uh, demonstrate here is Before, we uh, would consider, I mean, the netizens would consider the sickle as the the capitalist, but now there seems to be a shift where the capitalists themselves are also becoming ziucai. Now, I'd like to show you a few more, a couple more YouTube clips. Uh, Before I show you that, um, I will briefly explain what I'm showing you. the metaphor Jiu Tai" went viral again immediately after the youth day May 4th in 2020, when the popular online video sharing platform Bilibili published a short video to the young generation Zhi Ho sensationally narrated by the famous 15-year-old actor He Bing. In the video, He represents the older generation to celebrate the quality, achievement, and global um, perspectives of the new generation. It attracted waves of compliments and criticism, including many derivative um, and ironic videos self-produced by the younger generations themselves. Uh, Needless to say, many of them quickly disappear under China's censorships. Uh, these videos demonstrate the frustrations of younger people who are all too aware of their precarity. They are overworked, underpaid, and sent to Africa for the Battle Road Initiative. There, we also see Jews Taiwan be used as the metaphor to represent the younger generation who are exploited and harvested by the establishment. And the second video I would like to show you is the is the, is the video titled Zhu Qianlang to the Old, old Generation, uh, in where the young narrator mimicking the tone of He Bing announces. You are very fortunate to meet garlic chives like us, but we garlic chives are very unfortunate to meet people like you. Now I try to share
3: it. Those who talk 像我一样 我看着你们, 去遥远的地方旅行，很多人从小你们就在自由探索自己的兴趣，很多人在童年就进入了不惑之年，不惑于自己喜欢什么，不喜欢什么，人与人之间的壁垒被打破，你们只凭相同的爱好就能结交千万个值得干杯的朋友，你们拥有了。我们曾经梦寐以求的权利向你們的專業態度致敬向你們的自信致敬内心强大的人怎样去更好的征活所表现的青春 我们在同一条奔永的河流。哎,拜托了吧!赵美娜!赵美娜!和一点三亿B站年轻人一起表达自我,拥抱世界。哎,
1: hey, I'm sorry, I have to, I have to, uh, you with this, uh, however you like it, uh, partly because I want to show you the derivative. From um, Zhu Tian um video. And um, this video doesn't have subtitles, so you have to bear with me. I will have to speak on top of the existing soundtrack um, so that those who do not understand catch um, something. Uh,
2: so, let's see. Zhu the
1: Uh, Those who say each generation is less than the last one must be you.
2: 爱不如一代的人你们拥有了我们梦寐已久的权利我看着你们假装敬意像你们的大气之间那些强调一代不如一代的人我们虽长久的忧伤迷茫
1: Okay, I know I'm pretty uh, annoying for having to soundtrack um, being played together, but in any case, now go back to my PowerPoint. Okay. All right? Yes. Uh, So um, while globalization has been a major factor behind China's recent economic miracle, the sheer volume of the Chinese population is indeed the largest asset of the national economy. This explains Premier Li Keqiang first advocating the idea of mass entrepreneurship and innovation in 2014 and 2015. He advanced the slogan, entrepreneurship for the masses, Innovation of the multitude, to describe a new national economic bridge engine. This campaign raised the tide of the new information and creative economy through which the government could upgrade its economy from low-end commodity production to high-end innovation and technology. The promotion of mass entrepreneurship also ties into another popular governance discourse financial inclusion. uh, This concept began to gain wide global attention in the early 2000s when the World Bank identified a direct correlation between poverty and financial exclusion, meaning that uh, those people who do not have access to banking and financial services tend to be poor. Financial inclusion has, been, has then been widely promoted around the world, and it has become a popular ideology in recent international policy circles as an effective way to eradicate poverty and improve human development. Governments are advised to facilitate individuals and small businesses to be included in the formal financial system to have, to have access uh, appropriate, affordable, and timely financial products and services. And it is believed that by encouraging the people to have access to financial means, they can become stakeholders in the national economy, promoting and sharing the benefits of overall development. Uh, Financial inclusion was quickly absorbed into the rhetoric of the PRC um, uh, sovereignty. In 2015, the State Council issued the first national strategic plan to uh, promote financial uh, inclusion and it was further popularized popularized in china along with the e-commerce boom with the consumer society so eager to buy and the microfinance system so established and low. individuals can become new capitalists very quickly but since most of these new entrepreneurs either do not have a credit history or operate very small businesses they turn to um, online banking uh, uh, online banks or P2P lending platforms for easy, easily obtainable high interest loans. Many of them are quickly caught up in the web of digital loans. Um, sharks, uh, a loan sharks and system of social surveillance, preparing the ground for the P2P online lending bubbles. The BOC's elaborate social credit system further requires Chinese citizens to comply with social norms, as any deviation could result in deterioration of one's social credit, therefore downgrading one's position in society. Um, In fact, China's national economic development has been driven largely by a process of resource capitalization through loans and debt. Uh, So in that sense, the Tai is a very, amazing uh, metaphor to, uh, uh, to describe the kind of political economy that is now circulating in China. The jiu are indebted to their lenders while the political regime also relies on the constant borrowing of the, borrowing of the people to stabilize this economy. The fate of the people and the state become deeply intertwined under this mutual indebtedness. So in another word, every citizen became um I'm I'm going to end this by uh, giving you a short conclusion. unfortunately, this is I am not able to show uh, to give you much of the insights about the future. This is not is way beyond my um my ability, but I can tell you some of my reflection about this. Um how new and uh, Niger. there's also uh, a lot a number of uh, recent uh, recently popular terms on the internet in China describing those who have been so exhausted I mean for the first one is "tangping," uh, it de- describes those who have been so exhausted by the social inclusion um, to choose an cooperative and resigned attitude to face the immense pressure and toxic work culture. And the other, the second one is Jiaxu. Uh, Along with uh, uh, this uh, idea was, uh, it has been used by some netizens, but mostly those who use Twitter via VPN or outside China to describe China's current political dire straits, whose rapid deterioration is reinforced by the state's authoritarian control. It suggests a uh, passive, Revolution, observing the regime digging its own grave. The third term is Ru entering the pass, which refers to the 17th century historical event of the Manchurian banner armies entering the Sanhai Pass, uh, Ru Sanhai Guan, uh, which facilitate the Qing army's final victory over the Ming armies to set up the Qing dynasty. This buzzword is very visible. On the Chinese internet, used by many ordinary Chinese netizens who urge the nation to defeat the United States to become the final master of the world. So, Wu Guang represents the, um, the, um, the ability of the Chinese yeah. people to enter the world. So all these memes and whole words are characteristic to an internet culture of so many people participating and so much with so much censorship. I do not doubt the Chinese people's capacity to survive the system with their own tactics and interests fulfilled. But I, hope to, but I hope to see the Chinese netizens or citizens capable of seeing themselves as neither isolated entrepreneurs nor a unified people. But a plural existence of many individuals different from each other, upon which a political community can be built. Um, as both Agamben and um, Esposito have reminded us, biopower establishes close connections between life and death, so that biopolitics easily becomes senato-politics, shown most tragically in Nazism, which guarantees that a race will live by advancing the death of another race. Obviously, I'm not suggesting any connections between Chinese and and, and um, German situations in the Second World War. But I would just want to remind us that this is the most important historical lessons of the 20th century. We must learn if biopolitics refers to the life of the human species in its totality and reduce it to the most rudimentary survival drive. I think that Jiu-Chai is still the reflection of this, and also it has the ability to counter it by claiming one's individual's life back. And this awareness might lead, to, lead it to closer to true emancipations as possible as right? The only way for life to defer that isn't to preserve it as such, but rather to be reborn continually in different places. This is exactly what the starting charts do. The life power of your time could be appropriated by the dominant regime, but we could also become a mighty resilient force if it could gain intersubjective awareness to its continual becoming. It On this note, I remain hopeful. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Thank
0: you. Well. um. So uh, uh, just a note to the audience: So if you have a question for um, Professor Pang, please uh, submit it through the Q and A. Um, but first, uh, I think Professor David Wong and I—we will—we uh, have some questions for you. <laughs> first, do you want to
4: start? Sure. Um, thank you so much, Li uh, for a wonderful paper. I I had the honor actually to have read. The, uh, the article. So I, I was really amazed by, by your observation, your irritation, and of course, uh, a very polemical argument uh, you made throughout the paper. Mm-hmm. But here, um, let me just um, make first one observation and then raise one question. First, I thought um, uh, beyond this uh, dimension of biopolitics, uh, probably um, in light of this uh, the argales, uh, g- garlic chives uh, image, Actually, versus the, 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 the image, the, the, the sickle, that image, the metaphor. Um, I wondered if you could actually develop a kind of an ecological dimension of your critique. I, I thought it'd probably just takes one step for you to pursue something even more um, politically suggestive when you get to this um, very intriguing um, contrast between jiucai, our garlic chives on the one hand. And, um, and the sickle on the other, which you actually downplayed in your, in your presentation. And of course, we are all aware of the, um, the political symbolism <laughs> implied in this, uh, this, um, this, um, this um, um, I don't know what to say, um, this, um, this uh, tool of, um, of governance or control, whatever. Okay. But anyway, my question actually has to do with the last part of your um, uh, presentation which has to do with uh, political uh, self-consciousness on the one hand, and of course, um, uh, your aspiration for some kind of agency. Um, I, I wanted to find out more about the, um, the nuances implied in your um, survey of the forms of the agency, as you um, um, have identified either in your research or in your um, article. Um, because if we go back to the um, uh, the metaphor of the uh, garlic chives, I probably would suggest that um, there are different species of, of garlic chives and there are different kinds of um, uh, political agency and a political consciousness. And of course, today in your presentation, we, um, we saw the, uh, the, uh, the, the, the kind of a very grotesque kind of a parody, or some kind of caricature of um, the uh, the power, um, either financial power of um, or of a political power in charge of the, of the nation and the state. Um, I wonder if there are any other forms of uh, of agency you could uh, introduce in terms of this kind of um, this kind of rampant vitality, this kind of energy, as you seems to be indicating um, in your. Invocation of this metaphor of, um, of a jiu chai, garlic chives, and I I do see this um there's a powerful uh, potential in your invocation of the ecological dimension of um, of your 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 symbolism. So I think all that's uh, very very promising, and I just want to learn more from you. Thank you.
1: Thanks, David. You asked me these impossible questions. I don't know how to answer it. <laughs> <laughs> um, in terms of agency, that's exactly what I want to um, explore. But I, the term I didn't use, just because I don't think this term really tells. How it can be most useful in describing the current Chinese situations, because on the one hand, we do see a very homogenous kind of like unified voice um, from China is about a lot of things um, happening in the world, um, like how. How China is happens to be a um, a better place than many other places in terms of uh, handling the pandemic and handling a lot of such uh, things uh, while other parts of the world are in the best. And so, in that sense, they might they're right. I mean, in in certain ways, right? We do know that the pandemic is largely contained in China through their own means. they, these are powerful voices um, we cannot ignore. I mean, we cannot just simply say that they are brainwashed or whatever. I mean, this represents uh, actual people's um, mentality and their observations to a certain extent, even though they're manipulated to, to the state propaganda machines, but at the same time, they also reflect certain um, um, real sentiments. At the same time, it's precisely due to this kind of unified um, voice, just like one single voice representing one point four billion people, that makes it very skeptical. Um, how much, so to speak, the majority can be um, can be conceptualized. So, in this, in a way, no one in the whole world, I think, including the people in Zhongnanhai, really know what the people are thinking, because I, there's. Uh, Fotamu Jie has also been working on the social spirit, and David, I'm sure you know that. Um, One of the major problems of the uh, Great Leap Forward is precisely the fact that the regime itself is duped by its own propaganda. The regime is so successful in containing the peoples and giving only one voice to the people to the extent that they themselves thought that the people really think like what they wanted them to think. Um, so in that sense, we really do not know um, from any perspective who the Chinese people are how many different voices they have, how do they actually see things? Because I'm sure there are 1.4 billion people in, in China and each one of them have different ways of responding. But at the same time, they only represent oneself or one circles. So anytime we see people saying, oh, I think the Chinese people are actually thinking this way, we cannot but be doubtful. So in this sense, I really don't know um, how to conceptualize agency at this point. Um, if we are thinking about agency as a collective, has some kind of collective dimension. Not that there isn't there. It's just that it's not accessible to us at this moment under this kind of national environment and political environment. So, to what extent we can actually conceptualize a more um, kind of you know, bigger emancipation project? I don't know. I can only say that history will tell i mean history will move in its own way and how that is going to evolve uh, probably at this moment is inaccessible to us but it doesn't mean that it won't be um revealing itself so i guess um i don't know whether this is a <laughs> satisfying answer if we reacted to ecological critique. Yes, um, that's another problem here um, that jiu as I mentioned, is, uh, is actually a um, pretty obnoxious uh, plant. We know that when we plant jiu in one place, it will just invade everywhere. So jiu is actually, it's very nutritious, but also ecologically very problematic. Um, so to what extent that is also, jiu can also pose a challenge to the kind of biodiversity that we should expect. Um, the world needs right now more than anything else. I would say that the earth doesn't need your time at all. Um, if if we can, if we can put it in such direct way. But to what extent that we can turn it into something productive, it's also up to us to um, to practice. Um, I'm not a farmer, and I hope there's somebody in the, in the audience can give us some hints about how to make jiu a an um, environmentally friendly <laughs> prompt. <laughs> uh, but it's unfortunate that, um, that we're stuck in the situation, particularly in any association with Chinese people. Um, that's also something I feel very uncomfortable with. So to what extent jiu you can represent the Chinese people I think I feel guilty um, for writing this because um, this is exactly what I don't want it to be. I don't want to have a particular symbol or metaphor to represent China, Chinese people. So in that, in that sense, um, I'm also struggling how to present the dilemma. On the one hand, we want to know what the Chinese people are thinking, but at the same time, we also don't, because we don't want to structuralize it. Am I answering your
0: questions? now sorry. <laughs> thank you so much. I uh, Before, there are a couple of questions coming in in the Q&A. Uh, but I, if I may, I, I'm really curious about this. Uh, I actually find that this is a metaphor, or like, jiucai as a metaphor. It really captures a really complex issues. And thank you for unpacking a lot of that. For us, and um, you know, as you know, I'm very interested in in the socialist period. And as you're talking about as this nauseous plant, uh, I can't help but think about ducao or the poisonous weed. Uh, and then the sickle is cutting the the uh, poisonous weed. Of course, in the in the in the um, throughout the 1950s to the 1970s. And I also was wondering, sort of, what is then the legacy of revolution from revolution to involution. Or are we? Um, and then is the sickle referring uh, still referring to the party? And the, because there are a lot of a lot of the internet memes that you pointed us uh, to, for example, the self-cultivation of the the韭菜 is a reference probably to Liu Shaoqi's How to be a like the self-cultivation of a <laughs> of a communist. Um, and uh, and and I and I kept on wondering then how did people refer to themselves in earlier time periods? Um, I mean a, a plant metaphor more like from Tokugawa Japan would be like the sesame this uh, you know the uh, I think a bakfu official actually said that people the peasants are like sesame the more you press them the more you get out of them so this this idea of the extraction of the peasant from the government it's oftentimes the government making that comparison in the Mao era I guess people are sunflowers or they refer to themselves as sunflowers who are um, looking up to to the sun I think the only um kind of uh, uh, um, actually creature that is, uh, has the same kind of complexity as uh, garlic chive is actually the sparrow. Uh, You know, I've been really interested in the sparrow, but Mao referred to the sparrow as uh, this little creature that can grow. Um, infinitely through sparrow warfare because sparrow is, sparrow warfare is almost like a synonym for uh, guerrilla warfare. And um, so in 1945, he said, how did we grow our um, prowess with uh, sparrow warfare? Sparrows fly wherever they can find food. The sparrows in the sky were our seeds that grew many sprouts. And with those seeds, we grew the party, the regime, the base areas, the people the food and training for cadres. And even though sparrows are opportunists um, that follow food, they're small, but you add them up, they amount to a lot. And then he says that our sparrow is going to grow up into the big pong bird, into an eagle. And, uh, but then later, of course, he called for the extermination of sparrows. And uh, um, so, so obviously he compares the peasant to the sparrow, but then also doesn't care so much about the killing of the, the 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 peasants in the great leap uh, around the same period so um I, I think this is the only kind of a parallel and so my, but the overall question is more what is the relationship then between the current biopolitical subject and the earlier regimes uh, or earlier uh, say the the Maoist um biopolitical subject you know if there is such a thing how, how would you connect them
1: wow um Yeah, I mean, thanks for just reminder. Now that you've mentioned the sparrows, you're totally right that there's such an interesting comparative link between the two metaphors. Although, um, I mean, in a way, they are both strong. Both the sparrows and the geotides are very strong. It has a very strong productivity. Again, if we go back to Foucault, we're talking about he's talking precisely about this kind of. um, celebration or the promotion of uh, life, you know, prospering, flourishing. Um, so in that sense, as Byron said, that you kind of both very vivid um, metaphor for a biological, a biopolitical subject, if we use a Foucault's analysis. But at the same time, as I said, um, uh, the... the biopolitics is so much connected to senator politics. So again, the spiral also sort of like reveal that dimension that one point Mao celebrated, and the other point he asked the Chinese people to exterminate it. So if it's going to a certain force that come back to, to the extent that you can no longer use it, but threaten the power and celebrate it has to be, you know, um, taken away. So, the life and death are always connected in, in, in both, um, particularly in other months and analysis, particularly in other months analysis. So, I do think that the spirals could also be understood as a biopolitical subject, um, particularly a state engine engineering biopolitical subject. Tai is slightly interesting because it's a folk kind of metaphor. It's not a state production. It's a self-irony. Um, it has a lot of self-reflection. And it is one of the most, I think, um, those who are from China would know that this is one of the most popular and widely recognized um, code work, if we, if we want to use that term, in, in, in the Chinese internet, or, or among many. So Jiu-Chang also have a Itself has a um, a dissident kind of dimension, although that dissidents are also complying with certain um, mechanisms of the state. So it has a different dimensional, additional dimension of self mockery, which is, you know, um, which is very complex to me. As um, David mentioned, that the the cycle is a bit too, you know, obvious. Uh, referring to the power, representing the power, um, the political power. So, to what extent the the, the circles, I mean the the two time, and uh, represents a certain like uh, upper level or meta meta metamorphosis of the spiral. I don't know, but uh, that would be interesting thing to to think about. But thanks for referring
0: this. Oh, thank you um i think we have a uh, shall we go to the q and a there're a few really interesting questions uh from the q and a and maybe i will just uh, read uh, the question uh, so the first question is uh, from uh ma who will be giving a, a talk uh, in our series uh, in three weeks. Uh, thank you for a great paper, Professor Pan. I learned a lot. I'm curious whether jiu emerges in discourses about uh, rural revitalization policies, agriculture reforms and their related internet and e-commerce developments like rural we Media or Zi-Mei-Ti.
1: Wow. Um, okay. That might be that connection, which I am not yet aware of. Uh, but I think the Jiu Tai is, uh, is definitely a referral of the individual subjects. It's a, it's a as I said, a self kind of reference uh, um, in an ironic and satirical way. But to what extent they really treat the Jiu as a plant that actually can. Grow in rural area and that can be, you know, becoming a um, a a way of uh, developing the uh, the rural economy. I don't think so yet. Um, I guess it's not there that prominent because it's used in a displaced way, a transformed way as a metonymy. Um, so, to what extent that it might be uh, related to rural revitalizations, I would love to hear <laughs> Professor uh, uh, Montt's comments. I, I, I don't know much about it. Um, yeah.
0: <laughs> David, do you want to um, sort of moderate Or I, I, can, I can continue doing it. Okay. Uh, another question is what is intersubjective awareness? Uh, I think this was in the last um, slide, and what does it mean that we all survive just like chives?
1: And I think, um, thank you for uh, giving me this opportunity to explain the um, intersubjective awareness here, because I think um, garlic chives is also a as a metaphor. It also represents a very individualized atomic. Yeah, like a very individualized existence. Jiu-tai, you can say, has no awareness of what's going on. The only thing Jutai knows is to grow. That's all about Tai. We know we. Why do I mean the the way that people understand Jutai in China is precisely it grows so fast. You cut it and then continue to grow. Cut it and continue to grow, and then it just invades the entire place with such a, a strong. Um, life power. So in that sense, I think we what we might want to think about is how the jutai can stop just growing, just stop radically going up, but to become more aware of other jutai also caught in the same you know situations so caught in certain a blind drive. That's the reason why I think that in the beginning of the paper, that uh, it's most important is to reconfigure that drive. Um, how this, you know, live power can no longer be uh, appropriated by the economic sovereignty um, in terms of um, using it as a engine for economic growth, but to start you know, um, investing the political dimension of it. In order to um, come to terms with political subjects, the intersubjectivity is extremely important because without an awareness of other existing, um, you know, subjects or agencies or citizens or whatever you, whoever you want to claim a political community cannot be formed. A political consciousness cannot be formed, cannot just form your own political conscience you have to do it with a group of people so this is the idea that i was hoping to suggest is how the Jutai do not just think of itself its, it's own existence but others existence and try to think we think about the possibility of the public well the child itself is a very private metaphor at this moment i think so I, but i do think that there is just dimensions of the jiu cha metaphor really um, implies. So that's what I mean by intersubjective awareness. What well, does mean also all like the Chinese. I, 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 in a way, I think a lot of the people in China, particularly younger people, do be constantly calling themselves a time. They are always calling themselves however much they accept um, the political kind of ideology, but they still call themselves Jutai because it is very private. I mean, it's like, it's, it's their own survival experiences. They feel like they are being um, so good. So to that extent that um, a lot of people not just in China, but in the world, have this sense of living like a jiu But again, how do we transform that? isolated experience or sentiments into a public consciousness um, is something we could further think about.
0: Thank you so much. Yeah, so in many ways, um, how can some jiucai become aware of other Tai also Mm. as different beings, right? Yes. Um, We um, have a number of questions now. So I'm... want to get to uh, on a question by Hong Ru Xiong. Um, many thanks for your great talk. I am an Asia, fel- uh, Asia fellow in Ash Center at the uh, Harvard Kennedy School. My question is about the mass entrepreneurship mentioned. How do you evaluate the social effects of stimulating mass entrepreneurship in recent years? Is it a solution to address the inclusion problem in China?
1: Um, that's precisely. That's a very important question because it, it relates to how much China is in a neoliberal kind of society, or how much neoliberalism is the driving ideology of China. Um, the whole idea of entrepreneurship is core to neoliberalism. We all know that um, we each of us have have to become an entrepreneur to become a capitalist machine, and then um, and then again, it's going back to the private. Uh, economic drive and and forget about uh, the other, you know, public um, participation, so on and so forth. So this mass entrepreneurship has both dimensions, right? Entrepreneurs tends to be individualized, as defined as individuals, but mass as this, you know, collective mass, kind of like um, a big number of them together. So it's both individual, but also, you know, we invested with the socialist of idea of the mass and the people, that sort of thing. Uh, but at the same, at, at the end of the day, I do think that the mass entrepreneurship is a um, neoliberal kind of strategy. And it's meant to, um, again, uh, neoliberalism solve a lot of economic problems, but also create a, a lot more. So in that sense, I do think that um, mass entrepreneurship is extremely important. Um, uh, Problematic in the current uh, Chinese situations. At the same time, um, the entrepreneurship itself. I'm going back to I mean, liberalism, kind of like discussions. Uh, I think it, this ideology or this economic um, kind of like um, um, policy also being challenged by the ch- by the state itself. I think the current Chinese government are also not um, like uh, Uh, breaking um, this kind of development, uh, applying a break to make sure that China is going in that direction, to that direction, because they also see a lot of problems developing, particularly in terms of the political crisis that it might at the end uh, one day um, 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 kind of invite. So uh, is there a solution to address the inclusion problem? Um, I, I so so, it's just both a solution
0: and it's a
1: problem,
0: so. Thank you. Our, the next question is from um, a PA, uh, uh, graduate student, uh, Shalvin. Zhang, thank you so much for your talk, Professor Pang. I'm wondering how you see the role of contemporary media cultures and platforms in shaping the discourse around these uh, trenchant sociopolitical issues, especially given the socialist legacy of media forms and its strong metaphorical tie to the poisonous weed? Um, I don't
1: know yet, uh, because I think We we are very aware that in the last couple of months, particularly, um, the media censorship has become much more. I mean, it has been always here, but then after uh, in the last two months, it's even getting more fierce. So, to what extent the media can have any um, effect, political effect, Um, not probably not in this environment because the state is very very strong in controlling it uh, but we do see glimpses of such um you know burst creativity burst just like what i showed you um, um the the is not just the jihau in fact there were many many of such uh, videos one is um it's the, is the african waves there's a there's a um, a video showing this um, mimicking um, in. Um uh, being ironic it to the uh, uh, the barrel initiatives that all the young people are sent to africa and there's also mm-hmm. zhi, jiu, lang, zhi, the waves of jiu-chai. so there are a lot a lot of these that are coming up but it comes up and then being censored comes up and being cut down just in a way very much like the itself the sick is very active in cutting down this kind of like um uh, folk creativity. So there are a lot of them. Um, if you remember, uh, uh, TikTok is originally a Chinese invention, <laughs> probably, but at the same time, um, this kind of like folk energy and folk creativity can also be extremely dangerous to the, for the um, political regime. So to that extent, that um, we have to see um, the kind of tug of war
0: Um, How is it going to end up? uh, Our last question here is from another graduate student. Uh, Hai Peng. Thank you so much for such an informative and entertaining talk. I'm wondering, uh, given how ephemeral and fast updating today's media texts are, how much of the parodies is media entrepreneurship in the attention economy? And how much of it is articulation of political consciousness? Um, are those parody artists not reaping attention, dividends, and profits from those who watch them? Of course,
1: of course. That, but where does the attention come from? The attention, come, the attention itself has political meanings. Otherwise, like you remember that, the Jutai, uh, uh, the Bidang, the Bilibili, video. I um, mean obviously that women do not have any intentions of 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 um, um, uh, providing a, a parody a political parody but the netizens themselves gave him meanings so these attentions precisely came from the came from the netizens and the ordinary people so how do we see this kind of attentions being simply economic or industrially also implies a lot of political meanings um, like both right so to what extent we need to negotiate them and how they might end up moving one direction or the other it's hard to say but I don't think that we need to um, condemn anything asking for attention because attention it means a lot it means you know people it means the collective attentions that might not be bad
0: I mean I'm somehow reminded of just how vibrantly uh there's a lot of expression, even I think every sort of propaganda text you show us produces so many other parodies of it that um actually show um alternative forms of thinking than you know what so it's so it's not as if the um the mainstream uh, main melody discourse is completely. Um, sort of brainwashing, or in any way, sort of taking over, but rather there's a, or even the billy billy. It's it's quite interesting how the uh, the comments um each um, that that is also a display of mass creativity. But I, I do wonder also about the political energy, whether that will translate itself into any. Or it, exactly. is, it is kind of an outlet of um, frustration for exactly. the part.
1: Exactly. I, I, I totally agree with you. I mean, there's no reason to invest too much, um, you know, you know, meanings to that politically and saying that this is going to become a major political force. I don't think so. But um, what we can only say is that however um, powerful um, the state apparatus is, um, the people can still find ways to. Um, voice themselves, like the, to hold on, I mean the second video that I showed you, I don't know whether you were um, able to see that, uh, at the, I think in some way I mean in the middle um, the the, the, um, the narrator used a lot of uh, the people who produced the video, used um, a, uh, a lot of clips from uh, Stephen Chang's film uh, The King of Comedy um, he uses of he or she uses a lot of the uh, the clips from that one film, Um, so it's very interesting because the um, the the film itself it's a black comedy and it actually shows how a ordinary, very serious um, actor uh, who really wanted to become a major um, uh, to develop a major acting career becomes a clownist one as an extra. So it's a very dark comedy, but at the same time, it also shows how these video producers are aware of of, of, uh, using different kinds of cultural resources to help articulate uh, his or her point. Uh, So in that sense, I'm very um, optimistic in the sense that these people are are aware of um, of what's going on and so for example in in china for example there's like it it looks like there's a major consensus related to hong kong but at the same time when we see hong kong being represented in such a nuanced way we also realize that it might not be entirely the way that the state apparatus depicts so um, those are you know major questions we have to see again you're right i really have i should know no one should invest too much um aspirations in this kind of like playfulness
0: if you would, uh, there's another uh, last question that came in from another graduate student, Will Julian. Thank you for the wonderful presentation. I found the connection between jiucai as perennial and persistent plant and Tsai as plastic and politically charged meme, especially poignant in the explosion of danmu or user-generated comments um, across the screen as an unwitting gardener of the former was instantly transformed into an unwitting medium of the latter. I wonder if you can comment on the sociality of Danmu user-generated subtitles, and whether you see them as having a unique uh, resilience or productive power.
1: Danmu, um, I know. I mean, I, I think the B站, Bilibili, is another you know very interesting um, platform that that really talk because uh, the, the the Bilibili is a platform where, where everybody can upload their materials, and everybody can comment on the materials, so there is still a, a quasi-democratic idea attached to it, um, or where internet should actually um, be 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 messed uh, with. So in that sense, I agree with you that the um, the fact that this this you know ordinary clip is being uh, converted into a Expressions, um, the political expression itself is very interesting. So whether we can see the Damo has a particular unique resistance? Um, yes, I agree because um, it does shows because uh, we know that the Danmu has this synchronized um, kind of like um, relations between the comments and the and the video. So when we are and then the the the, the comments. Accumulate to an extent that that um, many different comments can appear together. So at the same time, it is uh, you can say a representation of democratic voices and uh, contestations uh, going on. But with the kind of censorships uh, going on, and a lot of people are very aware of um, of the limitations. So I. Again, I don't know how it's going to grow, to, to become. Uh, you know, I come from Hong Kong, so I am very um, sentimental about resistance and in a way also very pessimistic about it. So if you ask me whether I have any hope, uh, yeah, I do. Probably not. <laughs> so did, um, well.
4: Yeah, could I ask one follow-up question? Uh, I think one thing you didn't quite cover in today's presentation, but you did develop in your article, is the very menacing possibility of the mutual implication Mm -hmm. between garlic garlic chives and the sickle. In other words, that means that garlic chives are not just always uh, self-contented garlic chives. Sometimes they, they may end up becoming um, a different layer of mm-hmm. a social um, uh, interaction, a kind of a form of, uh, of a sickle. On um, uh, Jack Ma, um, yeah. Jack Ma seems to be a sickle to the uh, the the, the, uh, the investors or potential investors of ants. But yes. in another round of, um, of, um, of 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 a sort of battle between the government and the enterprise, Jack Ma turns be one of the one of the garlic chives, mm-hmm. right? So um, would you comment upon this? I I, I really feel uh, very intrigued by this. Uh, this is a kind of an evolution, I guess. Um, yeah.
1: That's exactly the, the, the tragedy of this, because it's like, it's, another, it's also another way of saying how the traditional kind of like power relationship, there's the oppressor and the oppressed, there's a the capitalist and there's the proletarian kind of analogy don't work. Precisely because the proletarian wants to become the capitalist, right? And the capitalist can become a proletarian in any given day, and this is the unique Chinese situations that we have to we have to face to an extent that I do think there's a lot of insecurity in, um, in among many people particularly those who are sickles, who have been sickles, because they know that one day they can become a garlic child very, very easily in, in, in this kind of environment. So, so we have to, um, to be aware that in such a power-intensive uh, kind of environment and situations as you know, contemporary China, power moves very quickly, um, those who own power and those who are deprived can quickly turn around. And who is in control? I don't know. Some people might think that they are in control, but we got seeing this kind of um, circulations, rapid circulation, just like what we saw in Cultural Revolution, for example. We just, we just, once we allow this kind of intensive power to circulate, the power would go anywhere and come back to those who think we are in control anytime. So, I, I totally agree with you. What you're having your, your, your reminder is very important. Thanks for that.
0: Yeah, and thank you. And that your last comment also answered the question about the revolutionary legacy and similarities to the. Yeah, I, I think our time is more or less up. And I and thank you for, for sharing with us this wonderful paper. And thank you, everyone, for the for the uh, thoughtful questions and for tuning in. So um, hope you will tune in again in three weeks time for Professor Shaoling Ma's talk. Um, and so thanks. Good night.